Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays, credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, May 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest on the sentencing of Mississippi's former Corrections Commissioner. We'll hear about the court proceedings and how many decades imprisoned Epps faces. What's next? A 32% budget cut is forcing the Department of Health to streamline services, and that includes more people losing their jobs. A conversation with the head of the Mississippi chapter of the NAACP on the organization's reach in the state. And in our book club, a collection of essays divided by season make up the book A Year in Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. Mississippi's former prisons chief is taking center stage one more time, and then he's going away for a long time. Nearly two years after pleading guilty to money laundering and filing false tax returns, former Corrections Commissioner Christopher Epps has been sentenced by U.S. District Judge Henry Wingate to a nearly 20 years in prison. The 56-year-old faces 19 years and seven months for accepting almost $1.5 million in bribes from contractors doing business with Mississippi prisons. Epps has been jailed in the past or has been jailed the past several months for violating terms of his bond. John Coletti is Epps's attorney. He says the sentence was up to the judge. You know, it could have been 23, which was the statutory max. It could have been 13. It could have been probation. The judge has that much discretion and power in federal court to impose a sentence he believes is correct. I mean, right now we're just looking at it and and we'll evaluate, you know, our next steps. Prosecutors had recommended that Epps spend only 13 years in prison because he implicated others in the bribery scheme. Judge Wingate said he would have considered the prosecution's recommendation, but his rearrest for stealing lights from a Flowood home he forfeited to the government while out on bond changed that. Coletti says Epps will continue to cooperate. He's going to testify truthfully. He's going to testify just like he has cooperated, and that has been from the get-go, and he's told the truth. As you heard Judge Wingate ask, he hadn't hidden anything. He hadn't told him about these contracts, but not these contracts. I mean, I've got the list of the time, and it's thousands of man hours. And, and you heard, I've never heard an FBI agent say, 
out of one to ten, he was ten. And, and that other people even said he was the best cooperator. There's a lot of cooperating witnesses. Uh, just about in every case, there's one. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they were happy with his activity. Matt Steffi is professor of law at Mississippi College School of Law. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser the implications of the sentence. Well, this is a very uh, stiff sentence, particularly for a witness who has, by all accounts, provided a lot of useful information and evidence of, uh, of other crimes by other people involved in, uh, in these various activities. Um, and in the federal system, uh, that means that he will do all or most of that nearly 20-year sentence, which will take him into close to advanced uh, uh, senior age. And given all the circumstances, what it reminds me is how much discretion sentencing judges have. They have even more in the state system, but they have a substantial amount in the federal system. And, you know, judging involves judgment. That seemed to have a lot of weight, that incident in Flowood with the judge. And that's common for a judge to pay particular attention to what a defendant does out on bond awaiting trial or awaiting sentencing, because that's when you might reasonably expect a person to be on their best behavior. They have the most stake. They know that they are fully accountable for what they do. And so it tends to weigh or can weigh very heavily against a person like it did here. You know, because while the system needs cooperating witnesses, particularly with conspiracy or financial fraud, where it can be difficult to uh, uncover evidence. There there may not be a smoking gun, as people like to say. Uh, it, and so cooperating witnesses are, are, are very helpful. On the other hand, I think the public can understand why there's a question of how much does it really show remorse when a person cooperates precisely at the moment when it's in their interest to cooperate. It's much more to a person's credit to uh, come forward with evidence before a crime is detected than after. Still, the sentencing guidelines provide that that is taken into account in the defendant's behalf. But in this case, it at least wasn't enough to entirely offset bad behavior while awaiting sentencing. Matt Steffi, professor of law, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this important development. Epps must also pay a $100,000 fine. Coming up, less money for one state agency means a major reorganization is underway behind the scenes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi Department of Health says it's making plans to reorganize in the wake of deep cuts in funds by the state legislature. The agency will now have to streamline services and programs to account for a 32 percent cut in its operating budget. Liz Charlotte is director of communications at the State Department of Health. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the organization's goals during this process. State funds is what we use to operate the agency, and it also does help us do some corporate 
public health services. Our goal will be to continue to assure core public health services while we reduce administrative costs. When one hears that an office will reduce administrative costs, the first thing that comes to mind is layoffs. How many people will be laid off? At this point, we don't have that information. What we're doing is we're looking at all the program areas. Every area has been asked to take a look at how to reduce administrative costs. And at this time, we are hoping with retirements and positions that we have not filled in the last few years that we can keep the number down. But we won't, we won't know that until the state personnel board approves our plan. Can you give me some specifics on how you're going to execute this plan? The first most important thing to us is to assure core public health services. So we are looking at things at at reducing our administrative overhead, okay? We are looking at consolidating some program areas. And we are also looking at the field, our county health departments, and we are going to go from nine public health districts to three, which will allow us to use staff more efficiently and it will also allow us to eliminate some of our building costs. But we are not looking at changes in our county health departments. We really are focusing more on administrative issues than our services in the field. We, We do not want to impact those services in the field and don't anticipate closing any additional county health departments. Will there be some types of services that will be impacted? Well, we have for the past couple of years been studying our services and, and our county health departments and where the traffic is and where the traffic isn't. And, yeah, we are looking. We already eliminated maternal child health because over the years, I believe, we saw a 47% decrease in our, in our patients, and they have other places to go. We're also looking at possibly, and I want to stress possibly, childhood immunizations because those numbers have decreased markedly 50 decline in the last few years, and possibly our early periodic screening diagnosis and treatment program, which has also seen a 47% decline in patients, and these services are assured elsewhere, but that is potential. You said that you don't anticipate closing any health departments. We, we already did that last year. So it's not to say that we'll do this plan and there may be tweaks in the future, but it is not anticipated at this time, no. What other programs are you confident in saying that these are off the table, these will not be touched? We're looking at all program areas, but those that assure core public health services will not, those are not going to be, you know, even considered. Those are our core public health services. I'll throw a few programs out there. You tell me what you're thinking. Disease surveillance. Critical, critical to the health of all Mississippians that's dealing with things that other people don't do, monitoring disease outbreaks, taking care of people with communicable diseases, investigating their contacts to further diminish the spread of diseases. It's critical. Clean water monitoring. Critical. I mean, you have to have clean water. We test the water of all the public um, water systems. We're in your life 24-7 from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. Family planning. Our family planning is pretty strong, actually, at the agency. We have only seen a 27% decline in, uh, in our patients, so it's a strong program. So can you say with confidence that all three of those are off the table? I can tell you that anything that assures core public health services will not be on the table.
You mentioned earlier that the State Department of Health needs to start looking at itself as a business. How difficult is that going to be? Regardless of how difficult it is, it's necessary. Change is difficult in itself. We started out with the attitude that this is going to affect everyone in some way, shape, or form uh, with minimal impact to the public. But you have a business that you're not getting as much revenue in, you can't operate it the same way. You have to look at different ways of operating it. When does the department expect to have this plan ready and in front of the state personnel board? Our hope is by mid-June to have it to the state personnel board. When will we know how many employees will be cut? We will know when the plan is approved. So we would hope by the end of the fiscal year, the state personnel board would have looked at our plan and either made suggestions or approved it. Liz Charlotte, spokesperson for the Mississippi Department of Health. Thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate you. The next state fiscal year begins July 1st. Coming up, we'll hear from the head of the state NAACP regarding ongoing controversy over the state flag's Confederate emblem. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The Confederate emblem on the state flag continues to fuel debate across the state. Interest groups and citizens are protesting on both sides of the issue. The NAACP recently protested the collegiate softball tournament at the University of Mississippi, saying the NCAA tournament should not be held in the state. Over the weekend, Republican Representative Carl Oliver posted comments about lynching Louisiana leaders for removing Moving Confederate monuments. Derek Johnson is the state NAACP president. He tells us the comments were insensitive. It is beyond insensitive. Any individual is entitled to their, their opinion, but when you incite that type of violence in your opinions, there should be some type of federal and state review of whether or not it is some type of racial hate speech. Uh, for him to be a state representative, uh, we have called for him to step down. That should not be tolerated. And unfortunately, in Mississippi, the emblem and our state flag reflect the statements that he made. Mississippi, we need to remove the Confederate emblem out off our state flag so that statements like that would, would not be tolerated or seen to be condoned. Do you think there's a different atmosphere today that empowers people to use that kind of language? I think it's definitely a different atmosphere. I think in the state of Mississippi, we've tried to change our image without doing the hard work of changing our image. Uh, and I go back to the symbols. Symbols matter. So when you look at our state flag, the only state in the country that still represent the Confederate battle symbol that tells you that, quite frankly, the attitudes of many people have not changed. And as a result, you get statements like this. And let's talk about in Biloxi right now, the mayor, Fofo Gillage, decided the flag needed to come down because he wanted to, as you said, make people feel welcome, the visitors feel welcome. And just in the last week, there have been protests and there have been supporters. And, and this is going on on the Gulf Coast as we speak do you think this will remain an issue every time someone wants to take the state flag down? 
that people who support the flag will be there to protest and those who don't like the state flag will be there to protest. Well, we've had a number of municipalities, counties, school districts, uh, college universities who've already taken down the flag and with no voices op- opposition. And I commend those governing bodies for doing so. I commend the mayor of Biloxi for doing the same. But there's a different atmosphere. There is this sense of privilege to say hurtful, hateful things about other people uh, that should not be tolerated. Uh, And so for any policymaker willing to take the bold step to do what's right, to do what's moral, to do what they profess as Christians, we commend them. The NCAA softball tournament in Oxford was something that the NAACP protested. Why and what was the effect? Do you think it made a difference? We've had a, a good partnership with the NCAA in terms of them committing not to play tournaments uh, in states that waive uh, racial hate symbols. And they've honored that. They have an exception in that rule. And that exception that for games where teams earn the right for home field advantage, they've allowed the games to be played. And as we begin to review our relationship, uh, racial hate speech symbols don't have exceptions to the rule. They are just as hateful. Uh, uh, and, And to have an exception... We had to raise a question around that. If you say you won't play a tournament in a locale that have racial hate symbols, that should be consistent because the individuals who are are the victims of those symbols and the statements, uh, they don't have a, a, an exception to their being victims of those racial hate statements. Do you think it makes a difference that the exception will be gotten rid of? It makes a big difference. It sends a statement, just like the Mayor Biloxi, people should feel welcome. There is no reason why we still carry a symbol of racial hatred anywhere in this country. Let me ask one more reaction. A new lawsuit has been filed by the Southern Poverty Law Center on the Readmission Act. This is a 100-plus-year act that requires a uniform system of education for all children. The main leaders of our state are being sued, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves, Governor Phil Bryant, of course, what do you think about this lawsuit? The real question is, do the state of Mississippi provide for quality education for all its children? And we all know the answer is no. And then the question is, why not? For us to be a competitive state, we have to increase the quality of education for all children, no exceptions. The United States is now ranking in the mid to low 20s in terms of educating its population. Mississippi is ranking at the bottom of that of the United States. If we gave our teachers a $5,000 raise, they still would be the lowest paid teachers in the country. That's not acceptable, and it should not be acceptable. So I commend the Southern Poverty Law Center for taking this courageous step to try to address it using whatever law and tools that are in the toolbox. And I I hope to see that it's it's successful. But because the question goes back to why should we undermine the development of our young people. The health of any community is based on three things. How well do we care for our elderly? Are we properly training our young people? And do we protect the right of the disadvantaged? And if we use those measurements for this state, we are a sick state. Derek Johnson is the president of the state NAACP. He is on the national board and is also the vice chair of the national NAACP. Derek, thanks so much. Thank you. Representative Carl Oliver has issued an apology for his comments. House Speaker Philip Gunn reprimanded Oliver by stripping him of the vice chairmanship of the House Forestry Committee. 
Coming up, anthologist Charlene McCord tells us how she captures Mississippi traditions in her new book. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi cultural events and traditions from across the state are celebrated in the new book, A Year in Mississippi. Writer and editor Charlene McCord teams up with Judy Tucker on a collection of 40 essays with 10 for each season of the year. With contributing authors from across the state, the book's content ranges from hunting to creating art. The Hattiesburg native tells us how the essays came together. Oh, most of them are brand new for the book. Um, there are a few, like the Willie Morris piece, of course, and a few others that are noted in the book, but most all of them were recruited. People we recruited to write specifically for this book. And you wrote an essay yourself, Mississippi Family Figures? Yes, I did. Tell us about that one. Well, you know, I just grew up with a family that revered the fig. And fig trees were everywhere in my childhood, at least in my Mississippi childhood. So it's a big part of my, you know, where you remember playing outdoors and the things you did outside. Fig trees were central to that. Uh, We had fig fights. uh, We buried (laughs) figs. We ate figs. (laughs) We tried to feed figs to our birds. We did everything with figs. So it was just a big thing. But mostly I had a family of women and aunts and grandmothers who made fig preserves. Many of the essays, you know exactly when you see the title where and uh, and what season it might be. For instance, the battle for the golden egg. We all know that's in the fall. Right. And Christmas in the past. We know when that is, where that is. The blessing of the fleet. The Neshoba County Fair, porches, politicians, and pie by Sid Salter. Do you think you cover the state Yeah, we tried our best to, realizing that there are a lot of events that didn't wind up in this book. We only have 40, and some of them are not events. They're traditions, like the weekly standing appointment at the beauty shop that women had for years uh, is one of the essays. And, you know, the family reunion and uh, a boy's first haircut in a real barber shop, those kinds of things that are so memorable to all of us. But for the most part, it's events and festivals across the state. And we did try to cover the entire state and do justice to it. But at the same time, we tried to focus on events that had a longevity that, you know, had really been tried and proven to be uh, lasting and, and supported by the community and that sort of thing. A number of years ago, I interviewed a photographer who took photos all over Mississippi, published them in a book, and he said that people generally would go and look at the section of the book where their home was represented, that there wasn't a lot of interest outside of their area. Do you find that to be true? And do you hope that that this book sort of takes care of that problem? I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. I think we've broadened our horizons a lot and we're more interested in what happens in other parts of the state. I hear people all the time say, you know, it's a goal of mine to get down to Mardi Gras or to the Blessing of the Fleet or to get up to Tupelo for that uh, annual arts and crafts festival they have. So, you know, I think we're interested in moving around. It's just that we all have such busy lives. And it's just hard sometimes to get to these events. There are events in this book I haven't been to. What do you hope the book accomplishes? 
I hope that it shows people that there's no need to sit home and be bored. There's always something you can get out and do. But it's basically just to form a community out of the state. That's what all of this is, is to bring us together as a people and help us to celebrate the various traditions that we have and and common interest and that sort of thing. You know, Judy Tucker, my co-editor, and I actually met at such a festival. We volunteered to work at the Eudora Wealthy Festival in 1996 and had never laid eyes on each other before, became fast friends, and out of that grew this publishing history. We're up to nine books that we've published together. And who saw that coming? It was just a chance meeting at a festival. This is an easy book to read because it's 40 essays, again, 10 per season. So you can read an essay or two in a short period of time, pick it up the next day and read some more. Exactly. Yes. You know, I think it's great that Wyatt Waters, he's done this wonderful cover of a calendar. And we've all managed the calendar, especially women have to manage the calendar (laughs) for the whole family usually. But I think it's just really great that we've been able to pull him in and he's been a vital part of the book. And so, you know, it's it surrounds that calendar and the idea of activities in our lives and how we spend our time. A Year in Mississippi is edited by Charlene R. McCord, who we've been speaking with, and Judy H. Tucker. Charlene, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the invite to talk with you about the book. Hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Season Pass. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.